Welcome to the Forecasting Impact, a podcast supported by the International Institute of Forecasters. This show brings you the most inspiring people to discuss a wide range of subjects on forecasting science and practice in business, society, economy, and education. Thank you for choosing to spend some time with us today. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Forecasting Impact. I'm so excited today. We have a very special guest. I'm so honored to have her on our podcast today. You'll, you know that I always look for amazing guests that uh, I can bring to podcasts, to the show, and to gain their insights, to learn from them. And today our guest is Professor uh, Nada Sanras. Welcome to the show, Nada. Thank you so much, Maki, for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, our pleasure. It's great to have you. I'm just going to give a brief introduction uh, to Professor Nada Sunrise. Professor Nada Sunrise is a distinguished professor in supply chain management at Northeastern University. Nada is expert in forecasting, predictive analytics, risk management, and supply chain management. Uh, her expertise is in identifying best practices in forecasting, developing a corporate technology strategy, and creating a resilient supply chain. She is author of several books, including Big Data-Driven Supply Chain Management, Foundations of Sustainable Business, Forecasting Fundamentals, Supply Chain Management, A Global Perspective, and is co-author of the book Operations Management. She has authored numerous research papers and served in the editorial board of various prominent international journals. She has also consulted many 500 fortune companies. It's great to see that you have accomplished all these things. Can you tell us, please? Uh, where did you start your career and how did you end up in your uh, current position? Thank you for asking. I, I think it's a really important question because I think that we can learn a lot from that journey. I was a typical doctoral student, right? You know, doing the, a lot of analytics modeling. And uh, when you look at the kind of work I'm doing, people don't know that I was, I'm actually an engineer undergraduate. I have a very technical background. And it all began, you know, uh, I fell in love with forecasting because of a class that I took. And uh, it was actually a class at Ohio State University from the famous Will Gore. And I just remember that I was absolutely fascinated. Of course, he was so known, you know, doing crime forecasting and his area. And the idea that these models can be applied to really anything and how important forecasting was, was absolutely fascinating to me. So then I had access to company and I was going to go part of my dissertation to gather data. And, you know, Makdi, it's a funny story about a young woman who's inexperienced, a doctoral student in my 20s, who at the time I was doing, you know, neural nets were coming about. And I had this real, you know, idea that I was going to show up, I was going to get this data, I was going to do this math modeling, and I was going to come up with some really great forecasts. And that's where the journey began where I kind of got beat up. You know, you go into a real company and you learn and you realize that, first of all, data isn't going to be in the form that you're going to get it at a university or a place where it's in this nice, neat, organized way. That data is going to be dirty and messy and easy or hard to access. And that there are so many political, contextual issues that override, that come into making predictions 
and decisions, that there isn't a one-on-one relationship between your forecast error and the consequences within the organization. So, you know, we can look at a forecast and we could say, well, you know, what is our, you know, MSE or a MAPE or, you know, whatever metric you're using. But when you look at an organization or even an economy, it doesn't translate in a one-on-one unit. You know, for off 1%, it doesn't translate organizationally that way. So there was so much learning and I had to I had to step back and say, hey, I have so much to learn. And then the journey began and I continued obviously to work with my academic colleagues in a more quantitative way, but then at the same time, toggling with businesses, learning to speak the business talk within organizations moving from lower levels to higher, ever higher levels, where the decision-making was actually made, where the, the power was, where the monies were to actually allocate those monies towards algorithms and organizational structures. And I'm continuing that journey. And I think, you know, you and I were, were talking before we actually started the podcast. And I really, you know, if I ha- there's one word that I can describe what I think is really important today is humility and understanding that you're never done. I'm not done. I, I don't know everything. And no one does, right? We don't. And we are learning. And that's how it started. So I look back at this young woman in her 20s who, you know, naively thought I was going to go into this company and I was going to, you know, show them these great models that I knew to realize that I was a kid who knew nothing, right? I just knew how to, you know, do the, the, the modeling, but there was so much that took place when you had to actually implement. And that continues to this day. Um, so, you know, I actually took time. I took time to learn psychology, strategy. For me, strategy was extremely difficult because I had um, rooted in quantitative. So, you know, I remember thinking, I I don't understand, you know, these are just words. I want a numeric number. I want a number. I want a right or wrong answer. And this is all just so opaque to me. And then, you know, one day the sort of light bulb came on. The other thing that I think is really important that, you know, where I've been at over the last few years is really understanding the system and the system thinking. And I think this is very important for forecasting. So rather than looking at any one element, we have to be able to understand how all the different elements work together in an organization, in an economy. Uh, in really a global ecosystem. We're not going to be experts at, at all of those, of course, but our ability and need to be able to work together in teams where we have experts that are um, that have deep knowledge in any one of those areas and be able to come together, I, I think is really critical right now. So, you know, I've taken this journey from being this very quantitative person in my, you know, mid twenties where I thought, oh, it's going to, I'm just going to take these models and be able to apply them to actually going through this whole journey. And, and, and it, it continues. I mean, we're at a point now that I never thought we would be, and we have much to say there, obviously. Yeah, definitely. I love that. When you say uh, we have to look at the whole thing as a system, um, yes, it's a system that we all need to work together and really put our ego aside. Um, you know, as um, as a practitioner, as a person in academia, 
and all work together to solve and tackle the problems that we have. Um, definitely, I can't agree more with that. Uh, it's fascinating to see uh, and hear your story, uh, where you started, and um, you have uh, you know lifelong learning, and you continue to learn uh, new things. Um, can you tell us, please, uh, what's your uh, focus, um, uh, current research focus, and you know uh, current consultation that you probably have, and current projects that you currently uh, are focused on? Thank you for asking. So the theme has really continued. I'll go into that in a second. And I think it is more relevant than ever. And it is the human technology interface. And actually, there is a more recent book that wasn't in the bio. It's called The Human Machine that came out right at the pandemic start. And it really was a culmination of a number of years of work, work that is, by the way, continuing in terms of um, the, you know, how organizations really need to bring together the humans, whether it be executives, whether it be analysts, whether it be workers of any type with the algorithms, with the technology. So, you know, as I told you the story of how I started, right, I was not anticipating going on this journey in terms of human judgment and statistical forecasts. And it really started with seeing how companies actually work. So, you know, I was in my 20s and then I realized how much judgmental overrides take place in business. That has continued and I have continued that work that has evolved. Obviously, it's a very different way of doing it, but it continues to this day. And I think we went through a period, especially where our reliance on algorithms was heavy, extremely heavy. And we have such a deep literature base of the fallacies of human judgment. You know, look at Kahneman, look at, I mean, we just know so much, right, in terms of the human biases. No question about those. However, where we are today uh, with COVID and so much of the volatility, I believe the importance of domain knowledge and experts, albeit they're fallible, just, again, I'm not disputing that, but the importance of being able to bring those two together uh, has continued through my career and continues now. And I think it is most important than ever. One of the problems throughout my career that I've observed in academia, and you know, I've said this, we need to be humble. We really, really need to put our egos aside, but we tend to be really siloed. Organizations are siloed. Academia is phenomenally siloed, you know, where we are either statistically rooted and we throw rocks at psychology and, and, and belief in, in human judgment. And then, of course, vice versa. Uh, I don't think that things are binary. And it is really important for us to understand that we need to work together uh, in order to have a better outcome. And these outcomes are not going to be perfect. Um, but that we all have knowledge to bring. Um, with all the AI, with all the capability that we had um, in 2019 of December, we simply could not predict the exact onset of the COVID pandemic. We couldn't predict the onset, which is an event. Uh, but when we look at forecasting, it's so much more than that, right? It is the intensity 
the propagation, the rate of change, the impact. And that continues to this day. So, you know, if we just look at the pandemic itself and we look at the different analytical models that we rely on, whether it's the Johns Hopkins model, the London School, we've got University of Washington, we have many different analytical models that have tracked progress of the disease. And and as we know in academia, you know, we have different assumptions that go into these models and hence the outcomes are are a little bit different and we try to toggle between them. We do the exact same thing in, you know, weather forecasting. You know, anytime there's a hurricane, we look at and, and then we try to kind of look at all the different models together, you know, and then we have this try to get some kind of consolidation, some ensemble forecasting as as it's called. Uh, same kind of thing that we're we're doing with with the with the pandemic but at the end there is some kind of a toggle between expert judgment and we'll say you know what are the epidemiologists saying you know what are we kind of doing you know real life delphi in concert with these models there's a real art to that and it's not black or white so yes we say human judgment is completely fallible no question about it uh, but there is knowledge that experts do have contextual knowledge under certain circumstances. So my work continues uh, in this um, refining what this context is, what are the cues, what makes better not only human judgment, but also the interface between the algorithms. You know, as humans, we can only process so much information. We are so limited. We need the algorithms to help us. But I think this refinement is going to be more important than ever. And we need analysts, we need experts who have deep knowledge in machine learning, in AI, to be able to work with economists, with experts. I mean, there's so many things Mm -hmm. that are going on right now in the global economy. Labor shortages, that labor shortages that are hindering the economy that really could not be predicted by so many of the algorithms. Why? Because humans are complex emotionally. If we, and I certainly couldn't predict it either. I've talked to so many people, uh, so many companies that are doing labor statistics and talking to employers who are saying humans are complicated. It is not a question of, you know, being able to predict analytically and say it's related to monetary compensation. But the COVID pandemic has created many emotional issues for humans, such as, I'm unhappy, I want childcare, I'm not satisfied in my career. You know, those things are very difficult to model, things like, you know, satisfaction, emotional satisfaction, fear. And that overlays many of the things that we are seeing right now. So we see labor shortages. I saw a financial report this morning that uh, labor shortages are rampant and that uh, financial compensation is simply not enough to bring workers back. And it is complicated globally, but it's terms of what, what humans really need and want. And so we need expert judgment to overlay on top of a lot of these things to be able to bring us back uh, into into a global uh, stability, a stasis that we all really, really need. At the same time, we have new uh, new variants emerging of the COVID of COVID nineteen 
Delta obviously is not the only one. We have many on the, on the horizon. So they're like different waves that are emerging, progressing. So again, uh, my work continues very much right now in expert judgment. We were part of, um, part of this study where we did uh, surveys or interviews of executives immediately prior to the pandemic. Their interest immediately prior was really digitization, analytical capability, acquiring that. We recently just now did uh, surveys. That has changed dramatically. It is really on focusing on the human element of the organization and then acquiring technology in order to be able to interface with the human element. So much of that, you know, we need so much. We need experts to have deep knowledge in analytics, but also in that interface with the human there's so much there. And I'm very excited, but this is the work that I want to continue. And I'm really excited about it. You know, um, there's so much that needs to be to be done because as humans, all the limitations that we recognize, they're there. Okay. There's no question about it, but we cannot eliminate the human. Um, we need the human. It's clear, clearly the case. We need expert judgment. How do we maximize it? How do we extract contextual knowledge and marry that with algorithms? And there's much that goes into uh, that interface from web design to everything at every aspect. And that is the journey that I'm continuing on. And I feel like it's just just beginning in many ways. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for for the comprehensive explanation on that and what you're doing, your uh, expert judgment in different places that you have uh, implemented and you continue to working on it. Um, Yes, I can't really agree more that, you know, judgment is very important part of every forecasting task that we have. We had Robert Files in our podcast a few episodes ago, and he mentioned that the more important is the forecasting problem, the more important is the judgment role over there. And I, I 100% agree that, you know, uh, judgment is uh, such an important part of any forecasting process that we have, especially with all the um, interruptions that we have right now in the supply chain going on in healthcare, in other areas, um, we can see that how uh, significant uh, is the judgment and expert role there. Uh, you mentioned about the Hue machine. Um, I apologize that uh, I forgot to put that in the bio. It's uh, actually oh, one of your recent works. And um, uh, I, I would like to uh, know a little bit more about the work that you have done in Hue machine, um, talking about the how important is the expert's role and the human role um, in the world of the AI that we have. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you did um, on Hue machine? Sure. Um, and... I have to say this work continues. And again, I truly am really excited about continuing and I can't underscore enough how this is the time for forecasting. There has never been a more important time for forecasting. And I think for all of us in this profession, we really need to come together, put our egos aside, understand that we don't know everything. One of the things that I can say, and I'll, I'll come to the human machine in a, in, a, in a second, but you know, I, I think it's one of the things, I've been doing this long enough to say, I get really frustrated with academics in particular who 
think they have all the answers or act like they have all the answers. We don't. None of us know everything. And it's really important, again, I think, to put the egos aside, to be humble, and to be able to work together because we have very different skills that are all needed now. I think when we look at humanity as a whole, climate change, COVID pandemic, companies struggling, global ecosystems, we need our expertise, you know, and I'd like to call on everybody to to really come together. And I think there is no better time right now for the International Institute of Forecasting to really take a leadership role. As far as the Hue Machine, you know, we approached this a few years back, very similar looking at the fascination of AI technology, infatuation, right? If we look at five, six years ago, so much, I mean, that robots, algorithms, AI can do, it's incredible, right? And so we wanted to go into companies and to really understand the full capability, walking in, uh, Mahdi, with the fascination of the technological capability. You know, I could see like in purchasing, you know, how much of the purchasing in a company is just completely automated, you know, bots making purchase orders so much on the, on the production line, moving into, you know, VR and AR. uh, And even now, you know, the, you know, talking about the metaverse, which I know sounds you know, really esoteric. It really isn't. I mean, in terms of the technological capability that we have and how that is is adopted. So anyway, we went into into companies looking at this. One of the things that without exception, so here we are going into large companies, all, you know, quantitatively, mathematically, technologically on the cutting edge. Every single company without exception said what was their biggest challenge, their biggest obstacle, their biggest barrier was human. The issue uh, was organizational change. We continued to hear the word repeatedly, organizational change and change management as being the single decisive factor. Uh, One large pharmaceutical company who is very successful in implementing technology into their processes said, the key to their success, getting people to believe in the algorithm. It was very interesting to me to believe, you know, it sounded almost like a religion, right? You know, believe, (laughs) really? You know, I was really, I was really surprised. I really was. I'm not an organizational behavior person. So I was like, wow, this is really fascinating. But the impediment was the human judgment and getting the organization not to sabotage the system, to have confidence in the system, to be enthusiastic about it. I had the opportunity to talk to people, to analysts, to talent, and to really see that uh, if talent and people were excited about learning and using the technology, that's where the success really laid. What That's where we ended up calling this new emerging enterprise, the human machine, is a kind of a emerging enterprise that is an interface, an an integration of technology and humans. And what we began to find is that these organizations actually physically looked different. Uh, We are now in sort of the COVID era. So this was all written right immediately pre-COVID. We're continuing this work and this work 
is even more relevant. These organizations are, they look really different. Their organizational structures are different. They're much more fluid in their organizational structure. So the rigid hierarchies, you know, where you have this very rigid fixed hierarchy of the bosses that, um, and how things work, um, is not really conducive to a flexible enterprise that needs to move with the times to ideate. You know, one of the things that we saw then, we are seeing now, is the importance of organizations to be fluid, again, to bring the human judgment in context with the technology, to ideate. That was important pre-COVID. It is now more important than ever. And, and personally, I would like you know the IIF to own this, right? That this, I, I really want this because this is the time for for forecasters, but this is, you know, we, the, the human machine came out right pre-COVID and my co-author and I said, you know, at the time we were offering a carrot to businesses, uh, the book details everything from what human judgment is to the incredible technological capabilities, how the two come together and what these organizations, organizational structures look like. And it's quite detailed. We feel now that the COVID pandemic has created an urgency. Obviously, every organizational context is going to be different, right? I mean, if you're looking at government agencies, if you're looking at retail sector, if you're looking at healthcare, if you're looking at, they're going to be different. But we really try to look at, look at these factors and draw a framework for organizations to be able to move move forward. One of the, the really important aspects for us was labor. And again, we did not go into this, Makti, with this idea. Mm-hmm. We went into this with fascination with, te- with technology, with analytics, with, with the capability. And we walked away going, wow, this is about humans. And it's the impediment is humans. Today, this morning, actually, before we got on, I could see the latest uh, reports, financial, and labor is the critical element that continues news. That is not going to uh, change for a long time. So, you know, for us, what we wrote in the Hue Machine is more relevant than ever. And we found, I think if there's one takeaway, is that the key to technological success for companies really lies with humans. And I think that continues today. Yeah, definitely. I love that. That's definitely important, very significant finding of your research. We really need to cover that talent gap for a lot of companies. And, you know, uh, the belief that we need to also make in the companies, are definitely, that's also an important part of it. So um, given that we need to build these, um, you know, the, the talent gap and the uh, human aspect of if you want to implement the AI and technology, definitely human aspect is very important. Scaling up the human resources, the, the experts that we have. What are the things that do you think that we can do? For example, if you look at the academia, definitely one important part of our job in academia is educating young generations and students, and also definitely doing our research and working with industry. Um, one thing that I look, when I look at the supply chain community, I see that well, we are encouraging multidisciplinary work, uh, but I still feel like we are not there to do really all the multidisciplinary work with um, all different disciplines together. We you know with psychologists, with uh, machine learning experts, with supply chain experts, because 
And when you look at the problems that we have in industries, uh, definitely it's a problem that needs different skills. Now, uh, what can we do as a practitioner uh, in your point of view or as uh, someone in academia? What are the things that we can do to develop these skills to cover the gap and work together as a system? Great questions. You know, lots to say there because I think that academia is continues to lag. I completely agree with you. Um, we have so many issues, right? I'm, I mean, I'm an academic. I can go on and on, right? In our own little, you know, every discipline, there is a reality. The reality in terms of the research that we do, we're going up for tenure, what journals do we publish in? You know, we're all, we really are all siloed. Uh, you know, obviously I know how this world works. I'm very much a part of it. I do think that it is somewhat unfortunate because I almost feel like the world is burning, right? There's so much going on. I do think this is an opportunity for IIF. And and again, I I really genuinely mean that. One of the things that, and and I don't know, I'm not, you know, part right now, I'm not, I'm not on the inside track in terms of, you know, what the opportunities, you know, what the Institute can do. However, what has always struck me about IIF, and I've truly loved it, is unlike any of the other conferences that I attend, uh, whether there be supply chain operations, research, and so forth, I love the fact that ISF brings, when we meet, we have computer scientists, we have statisticians, we have engineers, we have psychologists, sociologists, they come together. And we really, really need to foster this. We really need to foster this, to be able to, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but, uh, you know, again, I'm thinking out loud here in terms of working together, bringing together bring together faculty. There is so much that needs to be done. Part of the challenges is that as algorithms and the technology is getting complicated, it is requiring deep, deep knowledge. But then what it also means is the individuals that are capable, or that have that deep mathematical quantitative capability are uh, separated from what is needed to solve the, the problem. So you really need teams of people with different skills that can really come to come together. One of the, you know, I, I teach a class, I teach multiple classes, but one that I teach at the graduate level uh, that is really the strategic use of technology. Most of the students that I have in those classes are engineers, and it is really, really difficult for them. And I understand that because if you remember at the onset, I said, you know, strategy was the most difficult thing for me to understand because it seemed like this very opaque set of words and concepts, and I was used to, you know, very definite, correct answers in a mathematical model. And we look at interpretation of technology. You know, I stay in touch with all my students and I can tell you so many of them, I track them in their careers. And it's interesting to observe how they might start as analysts where they're having to, you know, actually do coding and do numerical uh, output. And as they evolve in their careers, they're doing more and more interpretation, risk assessment, and more strategic decision-making of that output. So I think 
really getting teams of people together to be able to apply for grants so that somebody can be uh, very much has a deep knowledge in coding and computing, can work with somebody that understands what are the relevant problems, I think is really, really important. And to be able to bring these people together and to understand limitations of what the algorithm, uh, algorithms are. You mentioned Robert Files, who I have to say is truly one of my absolutely favorite people. I consider Robert a deep friend and a very wise, uh, very wise leader. Uh, I know Robert very well. And I had the honor a few years back, pre-COVID, but not that long ago, to actually introduce him as a speaker at a conference. And it was a group of analysts that he, that he spoke to. I introduced him and he talked. And then this was, uh, this was a group of analysts. And I remember him asking a question or I, I don't remember exact dialogue, but the issue came up in terms of, it was a very simple issue in exponential smoothing modeling and how relationships of the variables worked. And none of the analysts understood that. Robert and I, when the session was over, we walked down the hallway and we talked and we said, isn't it interesting that they really don't understand how the model works? And I, again, I cannot remember the exact specifics, but it was something, Mackie, that I would have talked about in a basic intro class. What struck us that these analysts, they knew the models, but they really did not understand the relationships of the variables. And it's really important because you need to understand the limitations of and, and how these variables actually toggle and work together. They just simply did not understand. And now they just knew the outputs, right? They knew the outputs. And Robert and I were both surprised. We said, wow, you know, these were young people, but they, they knew how to model, but they did not understand the kind of thing that happens when you're actually looking at the variables interacting and sort of the guts of the models, if you will. I think if you bring teams of people together, uh, that is absolutely critical Critical now. Uh, and then going for the large grants, international grants across institutions, I would like to encourage people to be able to do that because staying within the institution, staying within your own department, uh, you continue to be to be siloed. So I'm, I'm continuing to push people, faculty, to be able to come together to look at calls for papers, uh, to look at large grant opportunities across continents, across institutions, across disciplines, to be able to work together. And again, coming full circle, I think IIF, there, there's no better time to be able to do this now. Yeah, definitely. Given this, you know, situation that we have now, of course, uh, the, the collaboration is so important. Writing grants, you know, the exchange programs, and also working with industry, I think it's extremely important. Uh, at the moment, we don't have, at least I don't know if we do have, but I'm, I'm not aware of, um, you know, uh, we don't have opportunities to do visits in industry as much as the opportunities that we have, for example, in academia, or the other way around, that the people, uh, practitioners are not that much interested to come to visit and uh, spend some time at faculties. I think that's something also that could be done there. Uh, and hopefully we can see more of it in the future, you know, uh, to foster the collaboration between academia and industry to tackle really big problems that we have. Yeah, if I can add to that. Sure. Uh, so I think that a couple of things. I think there's no question that 
the horizon and the world that we are moving into and are uh, is going to look different. So I think we all went through, you know, December 2019, then we all kind of went through the 2020, everybody went online, and we kind of went through this sort of shell shock and frozen and how we're going to collaborate, how we're going to work together. And we all, I think, certainly when the vaccines became available, I think there was definitely enthusiasm that we're going to go back to normal. And now we're sort of sitting in this place going, hmm, perhaps it's going to look different. I would, I think it is important to uh, not wait and say, oh, okay, let's wait until, you know, 2022 or 23. But take advantage, you know, I've developed collaborations using a lot of mediums with whether LinkedIn or, or people that I didn't know and just kind of getting on at other universities with different skill set just being more assertive and saying, let's get together. Mm-hmm. Let's, we could start virtually. We can, when opportunities open up, you know, meet in person. Uh, I'm talking to people at different universities. And, and I say this because there are people that are very skilled that have connections with businesses. I remember, you know, Robert Files is this excellent, again, you know, I'm a huge, huge admirer, Paul Goodwin as well, uh, my two dear good friends that have connections in industry. I have connections in industry now, but there are people that are in earlier part of their careers that are excellent at modeling. I would encourage people to reach out, to get together, you know, reach out to those of us that are more senior that have connections. There's a real art to talking to businesses. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that, you know, when I was in the early part of my career, I really didn't have the connections. I, I didn't have, I didn't know how to talk to businesses, but now I do. But at the same time, we also lose that huge technical ability. Uh, We need all of those to come together. And I would really encourage people not to wait. Part of it is that businesses right now are really struggling. They're looking for answers. Academia can help tremendously. And the reason for that is that we do not, we are not incentivized to, as, as consulting companies to, you know, we don't make money off of that. Our incentives come, if we can get a great paper out of this, this is what academia wants from us. And businesses need answers. I think there's a, a really great opportunity. I think it's a vacuum. And I think that we just need to bring in teams of researchers, senior people like myself, like Paul Goodwin, like Robert Files, that can really that have the industry contacts that can they can bring a pool of talented younger people that have technological technical capability that we can offer answers pretty quickly because businesses don't know what to do and so what's happening is you're seeing the large consulting companies i don't want to you know mention names i, I don't want to be disparaging but consulting companies make money off of consulting. In academia, we don't. So businesses trust us because we don't have an, we're not selling anything. We, at the end of the day, if we can get data and offer solutions that could give us a fantastic paper, it's a win for us. So I think it's a tremendous opportunity. We just have to act very quickly. And I think it'll be wonderful for all of us to get together in person. But I think we need to be a lot more uh, assertive to meet each other and connect and take advantage of the technology to be able to do that. I'm working with colleagues across the globe, you know, India. Um, it's okay. I get, to, you know, I'm in the East Coast time. Uh, I'll get on very late at night. They'll get on in the morning. Let's do it. 
because this is the time for forecasting. It's a time to pool our resources and businesses desperately, desperately need our skill set to come together. Um, I just, I'm really curious to ask this question about, um, you know, the, uh, from you, no one is better than you probably to answer this question. With all the expertise that you have, you know, in academia and consulting different companies, working with different companies, where, where do you see the future of uh, supply chain? And um, what do you think how, how it looks like in, in future with all the advances that we have in big data, AI, machine learning, and of course, the important role of the judgmental forecasting and judgment and human, human resources in, in supply chain? Where do you see the future? I think it is sadly very bright for us. And I say sadly because it is because of the global problems that we have. You know, it's interesting as a forecasting slash supply chain person, prior to the pandemic, people assumed, and I say people meaning lay people, assumed supply chain management meant logistics. It is such a misnomer um, because I know I have colleagues that are working in the human trafficking supply chain. I have colleagues that are working in so many aspects in the financial supply chain. So actually tomorrow I am actually doing a talk with Bloomberg on, uh, they, they were reaching out because they see the, the jobs in supply chain as being tremendous. I cannot see supply chain's separated from forecasting. It is not possible because the two work in tandem. And I think people, those of us in the forecasting profession, to link with supply chain experts who understand supply chain robustness, flexibility, design, must work together. Uh, Prior to the pandemic, I think people were really naive. There was this assumption that the products magically appeared. They did not understand all the frailties and all the problems that went together uh, with global supply chains and the, and the challenges. Global supply chains are going to become more important than ever. We're going to see massive restructuring and we're continuing to see that in real time. But those have to be linked in this very real-time kind of a sense with forecasting, good forecasts that combine judgment with all the algorithms that we have and that we ideate better because it's a toggle, Mekti, where you know we get a forecast where we design the supply chain that must be very flexible and algorithms then become really helpful in order to be able to then continually update in a very circular way, continuous improvement. You modify the forecast, you augment the supply chain, you work on the forecast, and you're doing this in this real-time kind of a fashion. This is extremely important. The world woke up when they didn't have toilet paper, when they didn't have hand sanitizer, and suddenly it was like, wait, there is complexity here. There's some rudimentary things like switching, scaling, There are all challenges that will continue to do so. We are now looking, among other things, at the chip shortage that will continue to plague us for for quite some time. So on the one hand, we're forecasting. We're trying to say, you know, and as forecast goes, you know, it's not just a point estimate, right? As you know, it's not just a confidence interval. It's an event. It's a duration of time. It's magnitude. It's There's so much to forecasting. Forecasters know how do we geographically segment to create an optimal forecast and then continue to modify that. You know, where are these shortages going to occur over what time period? And then how do we change distribution 
supply chains in order to meet these volatile changing forecasts. For us, it's an opportunity. And I would like to see forecasters and supply chain experts really help because I think it's absolutely needed right now more than ever. So our opportunities are there. We have to jump on them. But I think it, it is a result of the crisis that we're all witnessing right now. Definitely. Supply chain forecasters, uh, I think there is no more important time than now to forecasters to really play a significant role in this situation. Hopefully, we can all together help to come out of this, uh, you know, disruption that we have in supply chain and in the world. I'm really energized uh, with all your fantastic, um, you know, points and the talks that you have. I'm really enjoying it. But I'm going to move on to our last part of our conversation uh, with two quick questions that we ask from our audiences. It would be great to hear from you. Uh, with the wealth of knowledge that you have, what is your favorite forecasting book that you would recommend to our audiences? Oh gosh, it's a it's a great question. There are so many, but one of the books that I have always loved, it's a very old book, and it's called Judgment and Choice by Robin Hogarth, and I've really enjoyed it. It does it points to all our fallacies in human judgment. And as much as I, and I truly believe in expert judgment, and as I mentioned to you at the onset, we're so siloed, right? Uh, One group throws rocks at the other, but it's not binary. And this book really sheds a a really clever way, in in a very clever way, light on our human fallacies. And it, there's a series of exercises. It's a very easy read where it poses questions and then you think, oh, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going, I don't have that bias. And then you turn the page and you go, yes, I do have that bias. <laughs> it's a very old book, um, but I, I'm, I've enjoyed it. And I yeah. still keep a copy of it around Judgment and Choice by Robin Hogarth. Mm-hmm. And um, I've really enjoyed it. And um, your favorite uh, paper in supply chain forecasting, you can mention a few or a couple, whatever you you like. Really difficult for me to point to any one paper. However, as I had already mentioned, my two absolutely favorite authors, uh, Robert Files and Paul Goodwin, they have done tremendous amount of work in forecasting and supply chain management. And I would recommend to authors to, uh, or researchers to really just uh, look up their work. Um, I think both are extremely insightful. They're really wise. And I would look at, at their work. They've done a lot of work. So I don't want to point to a single paper that they have done, but I would look at the, at the works again of Robert Files and, and, and Paul Goodwin, because I think they approach it, their collective body of, of work points to a lot of wisdom that has to do with supply chain management and has to do with, uh, with forecasting. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nada. I really, really appreciate that. I genuinely enjoyed our conversations and I'm really energized and I uh, can't really thank you more. I'm sure that our audiences have enjoyed as well and I, I hope to see you in person. I do too. And thank you for having me. Uh, Again, this is a really important time for forecasting. And I want to see forecasters really step up. We need forecasting more than ever. And, you know, as I mentioned to you at the onset, I was so in the very early part of my career, when I learned about forecasting, how important it was, right, to predict, to be able to predict Listening to Will Gore years ago as a young doctoral student when he was doing crime forecasting uh, and then be able to work with the, with the Pittsburgh police departments. This was many, many you know, years ago in the 80s. 
to be able to look at today and say, forecasting is more important than ever. And I need people, I want us to step up. I want us to really step up and embrace this because this is our time and the world needs our skill set to be able to answer this. So thank you for having me. Really a pleasure to be on. Thank you too. Thank you everybody for listening and uh, looking forward to another episode with Forecasting Impact. Thank you for taking your time and listening to Forecasting Impact. If you like this show, please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. You can follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at Forecasting Impact. Ask your questions and share your thoughts with us. We appreciate you and we look forward to seeing you at our next episode.